This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Well, hello. Hello, hello, hello. This is Dexter. Yes, this is Dexter, and this is Kidnappers Kids. How are you today? It's a fantastic day. I think it's a brilliant day. It's a marvellous day. It could be wet, it could be sunny, it could be funny. And today, we're going to jump right in with... um, Oh, yes. Happy the Caterpillar. Today, Happy the Caterpillar is on holiday visiting another very bigger leaf, another very bigger green leaf, due to eating the first big green leaf all up. And there was none of it left. So, while Happy the Caterpillar is away, I have some, or at least one joke to tell you, all between the stories and songs and poems. Of course, if you have a joke or two, maybe a little story to tell, give us a call here, Radio Kidnappers, and don't forget to leave a message. Yes, because otherwise we won't know your joke. And the phone number that you call us and leave that message with that fantastically funny joke that you're waiting to tell everybody is eight seven double eight seven one zero. Yes, very good. And the first joke up, It's a marvellous little joke that was told to me by a good friend of mine. And seeing as how this is a knock-knock joke, hmm, I'll get someone in to help me. What? You want some help? Yes, I'd like some help, thank you very much. Oh, okay, I'll give you some help. You ready? I'm ready. What do I do? Just answer the questions. What's the questions? I don't like quizzes. They're terrible. Oh, I get my... Look, just calm down, breathe. It's not difficult. We'll take it one step at a time. Okay? Okay. Right, here we go. Knock, knock. Oh, just a moment. I can't answer your questions. There's somebody at the door. No, 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 no. That's that's the joke, you see. See, I say knock, knock, and you ask me who's there. And Oh, okay. Uh, I think I'm ready now. Right, we'll start again. Knock, knock. Oh, who's there? Doctor. Doctor Who! Precisely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very good. Hi. Oh dear. Let's have a listen to a song. Let's listen to Tom and Jerry. Oh, a story. Tom and Jerry in the Wild Wild West. Jerry the Mouse was inside his little apartment thinking about how nice it would be if he could go away for a vacation. To the seashore, or to a lake, or to Arizona, or... Arizona! Way out west with her cowboys and Indians and cattle, and where Tom the Cat wouldn't be around to pick on him. And then Jerry got an idea. Silly as it may sound, he thought of a way of mailing himself to the Wild West. So he tiptoed out to the kitchen. There he found an old cardboard box, and taking a knife, he cut out one end of it. He was so busy that he didn't notice that Tom had crept up on him. Tom was so fascinated with what Jerry was doing that he just sat down and watched. Well, Jerry wrapped the box carefully in wrapping paper. 
tied it with string. Then very lightly, he pushed against the paper which covered the place where he'd cut out one end of the box. The paper opened, and Jerry crawled right inside and pushed the paper closed again. Tom couldn't believe his eyes. Then Jerry crawled out again and carried the box into the living room. Tom followed right behind. Jerry climbed up onto the desk with his package, picked up a pen and wrote, To the post office, Wild West, United States of America. Then he stuck some postage stamps on the package. Placing it on his shoulder, he walked out of the house and headed for the mailbox on the corner. That was the moment that Tom pounced at him and began chasing him. Jerry ran along pretty quickly, but Tom was gaining on him. And then Tom stepped on a banana peel and slipped halfway down the block right past Jerry. But Jerry just had time to get to the mailbox, climb up onto it, and open the package drawer. He threw his package inside and banged the drawer closed. Tom was running back toward the mailbox. Jerry tugged at the handle of the package drawer again. It was stuck this time, but he pulled and pulled and it opened. He jumped inside and the drawer slammed right in Tom's face. Inside the mailbox, Jerry found his package and crawled inside the end just as he had when he wrapped it. He pushed the paper closed from inside and curled up to take a nice long nap. Well, outside, Tom was just getting ready to climb into the mailbox himself when along came a mail truck. The mailman hopped out and emptied all of the letters and packages from the mailbox, including the one which contained Jerry, into a big mailbag. And then he drove off again. And Tom followed the truck, running as fast as he could. At the post office, the mailman threw the letters and packages down a big chute. The big machine canceled the stamps on Jerry's package, and before long, Jerry was in another bag on another truck and on his way to the airport. Tom followed them again. When they arrived, still another mailman threw the bag containing Jerry and his package into an airplane. Before Tom could sneak on board, the plane took off and left Tom standing there. And then he remembered the address on Jerry's package. There really was a little town named Wild West way out in Arizona. And Jerry was going there by airmail. Well, a few hours later, the plane was flying over Wild West, Arizona. And since it was a very small town, the plane couldn't stop to leave just one piece of mail. So the co-pilot put the parachute onto Jerry's package and propped it out of the plane. Down, down, down it sailed and landed lightly as a feather on the outskirts of town. But the postmistress came running out and opened the package. Jerry was asleep, so he didn't even notice when she opened the lid of his box. If he had, he certainly would have been scared because the postmistress of Wild West was a great big grizzly bear. Gertie the Grizzly, to be exact. Well, Gertie the Grizzly looked down at Jerry and said, Oh, how pretty, a cute little mouse. That awakened Jerry. At the sight of a grizzly bear, he began to stutter. <laughs> Me? Why? I'm Gertie the Grizzly, the famous cowgirl. I wear a sombrero, a lasso I can twirl. But I can't go riding, you see, it's mighty tough to find a cow pony what's husky enough. Yes, sirree, Bob, I'm Gertie the Grizzly, and I'm postmistress of this here town of Wild West. Say, you don't have to be scared of me, partner. I know I'm pretty big, but I'm oh so gentle. But tell me, what was you doing in this here package? So Jerry told Gertie all about how he got tired of Tom picking on him and how he got the idea of traveling to Wild West by mail. Well, Gertie grinned. She was beginning to like Jerry. Most people were afraid of her because she was so big. But once she told Jerry not to be afraid, he was as friendly with her as could be. Gertie smiled and promised, If and I ever get hold of that vomit Tom, well, I'll fix him for being so mean to a nice little fella like you. 
Well, just then they heard another plane. As it got overhead, another parachute dropped from it. But this time, instead of a package at the end of it, there was Tom the Cat. As he got nearer the ground, they saw that he'd pasted a postage stamp over one eye and that he had a tag with an address tied around his neck. Tom had mailed himself to Wild West, too. Well, Gertie told Jerry to run and hide and watch the fun. And running over, she caught Tom just as he was about to land. Welcome to Wild West, partner. Yes, sir. Welcome. Say, how about a nice ride on a real buck and bronco, eh? Well, Gertie carried Tom down to the corral where she kept her horses. Gertie put a saddle on a mean-looking bronconi, placed Tom on top of it, and set the bronco loose. Bucked and jumped and bolted, and Tom bounced this way and that. He held the reins tightly. It was a miracle he ever stayed in the saddle. And then Gertie gave a real cowboy yell. Well, the Bronco gave one tremendous buck, and Tom went flying through the air right into a bed of cactus. He leaped up into the air again and landed right on the edge of a gully. He bounced over the edge and went on bouncing, bouncing, bouncing till he hit the bottom. Well, Gertie ran down and looked at the place over his eye where the stamp had been. Hey, partner, you ain't even got a stamp on you. I'm going to have to send you back to where you come from. Well, before Tom could say a word, he tossed him into a mail sack and stuck the sack on top of a pole. And soon a plane came flying by. Gertie signaled to it, and it swooped down. Big Hook reached out of it, caught a loop in the rope around the mail sack, lifted it right into the cabin. Well, the plane screamed up into the sky again and was gone. <laughs> Jerry was laughing so hard he could barely speak, but he managed to thank Gertie. No shocks hurt nothing, partner. Say, you hear that music? That's a Saturday night square dance. So how's about you and me going over and tripping the light fantastic, huh? So Jerry the Mouse and Gertie the Grizzly ran off to the square dance and danced and danced until dawn. They looked sort of funny dancing together. Jerry was so small and Gertie was so big, but after a while nobody thought a thing about it. No siree, they're friendly in the Wild West. Now, how was that? Are you ready? What? Me or them? You, that is. Oh, okay. Are you ready to have another go at another knock-knock joke? I don't know if I like those. I like answering the door and nobody's there. We'll only do one more knock-knock joke and then maybe we'll do something else. Right? Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Knock-knock. I've heard this one before. No, it's different. Just try. Knock, knock. Okay, who's there? Figs. Figs, who? Figs, the doorbell. It's broken. I don't get that. No, neither do I, really, but never mind. If you understand this joke or any of the others, give us a call on 87887810 and you can explain it to us, please. Yeah, and me too. Right. Next up, we have the story of Robin Hood. I'll sing a song, a rollicky song, as I roll along my way. With a hey dairy die and a dairy die do and a riddle de diddle de day. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a wonderful story, the story of Robin Hood. He lived many years ago when everybody used bows and arrows to hunt and shoot in the forest. And Robin Hood could shoot straighter than anyone in the whole country. And there is Sherwood Forest, where Robin Hood lives with his men. 
They would like to go back to their homes in the city, but they cannot. Their good king has gone off to war, and while he is away, their land is ruled by a bad man called the Sheriff of Nottingham. So they hide out in the forest where the sheriff cannot find them. Robin Hood taught his men how to keep from being caught. One day he said to them, Men, we must have a way of warning each other if the sheriff comes into the forest. So I have made whistling arrows. Each of you will carry one. And if ever the bad sheriff is seen coming near, shoot the arrow into the air and toward our camp. And we shall know what it means. Watch, I'll shoot one of these arrows and you shall see. Robin's group of men was small, but as days went by, many more ran away from the city where the cruel sheriff ruled and joined Robin's group. Robin wanted only strong and able men with him in the forest, and before he allowed anyone to join him, he often tested their courage. One day, Robin was just starting to cross a narrow bridge in the forest when a stranger began to cross from the other side. There was room for only one at a time, and Robin called to the stranger. Stand aside. Why should I stand aside? To let the better man pass. Then you stand aside. If you think you're the better man, then prove it with your stuff. With that, they began fighting with their sticks on the narrow bridge. Robin managed to crack the big man soundly in the ribs, and he jumped back. But then the stranger struck Robin across the head, and Robin fell backward off the bridge and into the water below. <laughs> Aye, that was a good fight, lad. Here, let me help you up to the shore. <laughs> oh, you fight well, stranger. Uh, what is your name? John Little. Well, then, I shall call you Little John. And with that, Robin Hood and Little John became very good friends. Back in the city at his castle... The bad sheriff of Nottingham was very angry. He was talking to his men. This Robin Hood must be captured. He sneaks into our city and steals from the rich and then turns around and gives the money to the poor. If we are going to collect taxes from the poor and keep all of the money for ourselves, then Robin Hood must be stopped. I want the best of my men to ride with me into the forest and capture Robin Hood. Get your swords and bows and arrows and follow me. And with that, the sheriff and his men rode off to get Robin Hood. Back in Sherwood Forest, Robin was walking along through the woods when he came upon a rather strange-looking man sitting with his dog under a tree. The man was singing. There was a lover and his lass sat neath the spreading oak And lest his heart should break apart The doting lover spoke Come sing low, come sing high, come change thy name to mine, and you shall eat my capon pie and drink my mamsy wine. <laughs> Who laughs at my singing? Hey! I do! Robin Hood! <laughs> Who are you? I am Friar Tuck. Well, Friar Tuck, 
I wish to cross that stream. Then wade across in the water like the rest of us must do. Oh, I'd prefer to have you carry me. With that, Robin Hood pulled out his sword and laughing all the while, made Friar Tuck carry him on his back across the stream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, you make a very good horse, Friar Tuck. (laughs) All right, young Robin Hood. You've had your joke. Here we are across the stream. Put down your sword. But as Robin put down his sword, Friar Tuck quickly pulled out his, held it at Robin Hood's throat, and said... Now I would like to be carried back to the other side of the stream. (laughs) 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 And you too make a fine horse, Robin Hood. (laughs) When they got to the other side, then they both laughed, shook hands, and became good friends. But while Robin Hood and Friar Tuck were having their joke, the sheriff and his men rode up and with swords drawn surrounded them both. There he is, men! There's Robin Hood! Get him! Robin Hood was surrounded. He saw that he could not get away, so he quickly took his whistling arrow fitted it into his bow, and before anybody could stop him, he shot it high into the air toward the camp of his men. And then Robin started to fight for his life, and Friar Tuck fought by his side. Robin fought furiously with his sword, holding off many men at one time. Then one of the sheriff's men managed to strike Friar Tuck across the back of the head. And Tuck fell to the ground, unconscious. Alone now, Robin still fought, but there were too many of them. And the sheriff himself knocked Robin's sword out of his hand. Robin jumped up into a tree, and from there jumped at the sheriff and knocked him off the horse and rode away. After him! Shoot him down! But just then, Robin's men, who had heard the whistling arrow, rode up, and with arrows flying, they drove off all of the sheriff's men, leaving only the sheriff on the ground. With no horse. Frantic, the sheriff started to run for a horse to escape, but Friar Tuck awakened. Seeing what was happening, he gave a shrill whistle to his dog. Uh, uh, Help! Your dog! He's got me! Call him off! Call him off! Call off your dog, Friar Tuck. Now that we have the sheriff, we can take care of him ourselves. So Robin and his men, along with Friar Tuck, rode off with the sheriff as their prisoner back to their camp in Sherwood Forest. There Robin Hood spoke to his men. Men, we must make an example of the sheriff to give courage to the poor back in the city. We'll tie a pair of deer antlers on his head, like this. (laughs) Then sit him backwards on his horse like this. Now that he's all tied up, let him hold the horse's tail in his hands. Now we send him on his way back to the city where all can see him. (laughs) 
Oh, the sheriff with threescore bowmen rode out of Nottingham town. But Robin Hood left those bowmen a-gasping on the ground. Oh, the sheriff, he dined with Robin Hood, and when he had paid the score, back to Nottingham spurred, but from what I heard, he rode hindsight to four. While all this was going on, King Richard, who ruled the country, was away at war with his armies. He was a good king, tall and blonde and very brave. He was so brave that he was called Richard the Lionhearted. He was now riding back to his home, for the war was over. The sheriff, back in his castle now, was angrier than ever at Robin Hood. Determined to catch him, he first locked up Robin's good friend, the Queen's lady, Marion. What are you going to do with me? Into that cell. We shall soon see how smart your friend Robin is. But Robin heard about Marion's being locked in a cell, and one night, just before daybreak, he sneaked into the castle to free her. Before the sheriff saw him coming, he came up behind him, pulled out his knife, and... Don't move or cry out. I shall plunge this knife into your heart. No, don't. I, I, I promise. Have mercy, and I shall do whatever you ask. Then lead me to the maid, Marion. Down into the basement they went, with Robin holding the knife at the sheriff's side all the time. When they reached the cell, he forced the sheriff to open it. Marion, it's I, Robin Hood. Robin? Oh, Robin, I thought we both were lost. Now, Sheriff, into the cell you go to take Marion's place. But, but, but who will find me here? Please, please let me in, I say. Now that Robin had Marion out of the cell, he was going to have a hard time getting her safely out of the castle. But as he was wondering how he was going to manage, he suddenly heard wild cheering in the courtyard. Running out with Marion, there he saw a sight too good to be Marion, look, it's the king. King Richard himself returned home. Oh, Robin, now we have nothing to fear. When King Richard heard all about the sheriff and Robin Hood and what had happened while he was away, he made Robin a nobleman and punished the sheriff and all of his men. Robin and the good men of Sherwood Forest were welcomed back to their homes. And Robin Hood spent the rest of his life in great happiness with Marion and his good friends. And many happy hours hunting in what you might call his second home, Sherwood Forest. I'll sing a song, a rollicky song, as I roll along my way. With a hey dairy die and a dairy die do and a riddle dee diddle dee day. are in Radio Kidnappers Land and this is Dexter and oh he's gone never mind I'm back I'm back oh thank you very much what's next um oh it's another story and it's the selfish giant oh, what was he selfish about I don't know let's have a listen and find out oh good
long time ago, there lived a very wealthy giant. To him belonged a great castle, which was surrounded by a large and lovely garden. Every afternoon, when they were let out of school, the children used to come to the giant's garden. It was a wonderful place for them to play. The ground was all covered with soft green grass, and here and there over the grass stood many beautiful flowers. There were 12 peach trees, which in the springtime broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds would sit on the trees and sing so sweetly that the children used to pause in their play just to listen to them. And one would say to another, How happy we are here! The children had never seen the giant to whom the garden belonged. He had gone away seven years before to visit another giant who was a friend of his. But after he had stayed with his friend for seven years, he had said all that he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and so it was that he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived there and found the children playing in the garden, he became very angry. What are you doing here? The children were frightened and ran away. But the giant was not a bit dismayed. In fact, he was glad to see them go. He began at once to build a high wall all around the garden. My own garden is my own garden. Anyone can understand that. And I will allow nobody to play in it but myself. When he finished the wall, he tacked onto it a sign which read, Trespassers will be prosecuted. He was a very selfish giant. The poor children now had nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander around the high wall when their lessons were over and talk about the beautiful garden inside. And one would say to another, How happy we were there. The following year, when the spring came, there were little blossoms and little birds all over the countryside. But in the garden of the selfish giant, it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as no children were there. Even the trees forgot to blossom. One beautiful flower put its head out from under the grass and looked around. I wonder why the children are no longer here. And then it saw the sign on the wall, which plainly read, Trespassers will be prosecuted. And the beautiful flower was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only ones who were really pleased with the giant's selfishness were the snow and the frost. Spring has forgotten this garden, so we will live here all year round. <laughs> and the snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind. Come and stay with us. And the north wind came. He was wrapped in furs and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney pots down. He too was pleased. This is a most delightful spot. We must ask the hail to visit us. So the hail came, and every day for hours he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates, and then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. 
He was dressed all in gray, and his breath was like ice. Day after day, the selfish giant sat at the window and looked out at his cold, white garden. I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming this year. I hope there will soon be a change in the weather. But the spring never came, nor did the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden but that of the giant. To him I shall give nothing. He is too selfish. So it was always winter there, and the north wind, and the hail, and the frost, and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning, the giant was awakened by what sounded to him like some lovely music. It was really only a little bird singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird singing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. The hail had stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind had ceased roaring. I do believe the spring has come at last. And the giant jumped out of bed hastened over to the window and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall, the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see, there was a little child, and the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about, and when the giant opened his window, he could hear them twittering with delight. The flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene, except for one corner where it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all around it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. The tree bent its branches down as low as it could to help the child reach them. Climb up, little boy. But he was too tiny. As the giant looked out, his heart melted. He left the window, crept downstairs. How selfish I have been. Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will go out and put that poor little boy on the top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall. From now on, my garden shall be the children's playground forever and ever. The giant was really very sorry for what he had done. So he opened his front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him, they were so frightened that they all ran away. And the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming. And the giant stole up behind him and took him up gently in his hand and put him into the tree. And the tree broke at once into blossoms and the birds came and sang on it. And the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them around the giant's neck and kissed him. Thank you so much. 
the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back. And with them came the spring. Then the giant took a great axe and knocked down the wall. It is your garden now, little children. Later that morning, when people passed by on their way to church, they were surprised to find the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the evening they came to the giant to bid him goodbye. Goodbye! Goodbye! I had a wonderful time! But where is your little companion, the boy I put into the tree? I don't know. He has gone away. Then you must tell him to be sure and come here with you tomorrow. But I don't know where he lives. I have never seen him before. Nor have I. Nor I. When the giant heard this, he felt very sad. He loved the little boy best because he had kissed him. The others came and played with him every afternoon when school was over. But the little boy whom he loved was never seen again. The giant was very kind to all the children. And yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How I would like to see him. Years went by, and the giant grew very old and very feeble. He could not play about anymore, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning, the giant looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly, he rubbed his eyes in wonder. He looked and looked. It was indeed a marvelous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden and silver fruit hung down from them. Underneath the tree stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass and drew near to the child. When he came quite close, his face grew red with anger. Who has dared to hold me? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails. And the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who has dared to wound me? Tell me that I may take my big sword and slay Nay, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? And a strange awe fell upon the giant, and he knelt before the little child. And the child smiled on the giant. Let me play in your garden. Today, you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms.
here we are in the fun, fan, fun, fun, fun land. Oh dear, of of radio kidnappers and kidnappers' kids. Time for a song, I think. Dance to your daddy. having a fantastic day I hope it's not quite so wet out as it has been but let's do some matching with the grand old Duke of York
Now the next song, yes, well, um, I sort of chose this before the weather we've had in the past few days and some people might not like it because, well, it has been raining a bit. But this one is, it's raining, it's pouring. And everyone's going to say, yes, I know, why doesn't it stop? And maybe some of our young at heart listeners, I hope you like these programs because I like making them, you know. Some of our younger listeners at heart can remember the Goon Show. Spike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, no, not Harry Belafonte, and Peter Sellers. And they did a funny radio show. And they did a song. Called the Ying Tong Song. <laughs> Three. My little boy, who was that bum? 
Not only that, not only the Ying Tong song, but Spike Milligan like jazz, and Harry Seacombe had a wonderful singing voice. So maybe this is about him, because he was a music man. I am the music man. Music man, I come from down your way and I can play. I play the piano. I am the music man, I come from down your way and I can play. I play the bass drum. I am the music man, I come from down your way. 
play the trombone. Music man, I come from down your way and I can play. I play the piano. And remember, whatever the weather, if you're happy and you know it, the song will tell you what you can do. A few more songs and maybe a poem from me and 
I hope you've enjoyed it. And that'll be that'll be our day. So I think. Yes. The Bluebell Polka. you got up and did a bit of dancing shook out the cobwebs got some fresh air into your lungs yes and this one is the ballad of Davy Crockett born on a mountaintop in Tennessee green estate in the land of the free raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Fought single-handed through the Indian War till the creeks was whipped and peace was in store. And while he was handling this risky chore, made himself a legend forevermore. Davy. Davy Crockett, the man who don't know fear. 
He went off to Congress and served a spell, fixing up the government and laws as well. Took over Washington, so I heard tell, and patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. Davy, Davy Crockett, seeing his duty clear. When he come home, his politicking was done. Why, the Western March had just begun. So he packed his gear and his trusty gun and lit out a grinning to follow the sun. Davy, Davy Crockett, leading the pioneer. Now there's time for a poem from me. Well, I'll read it. But it was a poem written by A.A. A. Milne. And this poem is Twice Times. Are you sitting comfortably? That's good. There were two little bears who lived in a wood. And one of them was bad and the other was good. Good bear learnt his twice times one. But bad bear left all his buttons undone. They lived in a tree where the weather was hot. And, not, and one of them was good. And the other was not. Good bear learned his twice times two. Bad bear's thingamies were worn right through. They lived in a cave where the weather was cold, and they did and they didn't do what they were told. Good bear learned his twice times three. Bad bear never had his handkerchief. They lived in the wood with a kind old aunt, and one said yes and and the other said shan't. Good bear learnt his twice times four. But bad bear's nicotates were terribly tore. And then quite suddenly, just like us, one got better and the other got wuss. Good bear muddled his twice times three. But bad bear coughed in his handkerchief. Good bear muddled his twice times two. But bad bear's thingamies looked like new. Good bear muddled his twice times one, but bad bear never left his buttons undone. There may be a moral, though some say not. I think there's a moral, though I don't know what. But if one gets better and the other gets worse, these two little bears are just like us. For Christopher remembers up to twice times ten, but I keep forgetting where I've put my pen. So I had to write this one in pencil. There you go. That's me for today. Ta-ra for now. Don't forget, be kind to one another. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.